0: When I was growing up as a child, my family went to every one of the Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark movies. By my mom's own admission, she was stricken with Harrison Ford. And so I can still remember the first weeks these movies were released, going and seeing them in the theater. And the first Raiders movie, you might remember vaguely the plot if you've seen the movie, but you can um, recreate it in your own mind. There is this uh, campaign to get the Ark of the Covenant, this group of Nazis who are out to um, gather this Ark and find it and open it and discover and take hold of its great treasure. And so it's seen late in the movie. They've got the Ark before them and they've trained one of these guys to be a priest. And they take these two assistants and they lift the cover of the Ark off, and it's just sand. And of course, in a moment or two later, these lights and these clouds, the beginning of like CGI, the beginning of this kind of movie um, ability, the cinematography to bring the light to begin to flow out of the ark throughout all the soldiers and the people. And the priest looks up at a kind of a divine female face and said, It is beautiful. And this triggers Indiana Jones, who's an Egyptologist, right at John Hopkins, so he knows. And he says, Marion, don't look, close your eyes. He and Marion are tied to a stake, you know, classic movie scene in the middle. And so they close their eyes, and this moving, beautiful light becomes quickly violent. And it slays, in a rather severe way, everyone whose eyes had been opened. And spares Indiana and Marion. It is just a perfect scene for that kind of developing cinema. And if there's something about that scene that we should recognize or say that it doesn't capture about the divine Lord is that he's not simply a divine, dangerous light. He is a loving and compassionate person. That doesn't play as well in Indiana Jones' movie. If the light had said, oh, my beloved, I've set my name on you and called you by name, you are mine, that wouldn't be nearly as powerful. So they capture, though, this side of Israel's history, this people who bears the light of the Lord to the world. And I want us to look for a moment at Isaiah and start at this long passage we had the children read for us today. You get a few of these passages in Isaiah that are kind of these um, blanket stories. They're like these sweeping narratives of Israel's life and history, who Israel was supposed to be. And the story begins, or the passage in Isaiah, with God assuring them that he's with them through the waters. He's present in the midst of his people. And then he says he will gather them. He will ransom them. He will bring them to himself. He'll give Cush and Egypt and Seba to redeem his people and call them to himself. For, he says, you are precious and honored, and I love you. I will call you by name, you are mine. It is this picture of the divine Lord's purpose for all whom he has created to call them to himself in love, precious, honored, and beheld by him. And having come in, he says, I'll call you from the east and the west and from the north and the south and say, give them up. And I'll gather them with all the nations and all peoples, that they may come and know that I am the Lord and there is no other. And they shall be my witnesses. Three times the people are said that they're his witnesses. That is, as I said, a summary of Israel's calling. Abraham selected out of Ur of the Chaldees, He's given the blessing of the Lord that all the nations of the earth might be blessed in him. And so Isaiah prophesies a future day when God will again call all the peoples to gather before him through his chosen servant Israel that he might be known in their midst and that the peoples might be witnesses to ever more people about his drawing near. This is Israel's Design, this is their calling that they failed to go through. And our New Testament readings come to us as the fulfillment of that vision and that promise in Isaiah. You might remember those words in Luke 24 we just read. Jesus is on the road, unrecognized with Cleopas and this other disciple. And he says, Oh, you foolish ones and slow to believe all that the prophets. Had spoken. Here is Jesus, the manifestation of that promise appearing before them, and the disciples cannot figure it out. But they do. They come to discover their eyes are open and it becomes manifest to them. So, on this third Sunday of Easter, as we continue to reflect on the resurrected Lord and his divine presence. I give us three thoughts about how this appearing shows up in these New Testament passages. The fulfillment of Israel's prophecy, Jesus Christ has made manifest the Lord in his glory, both dangerous and loving. First of all, notice that the people of God, the disciples, are imagined as those people who seek the face of Christ. The disciples who walk along the road with him, of course, are walking and talking with him, and they can't see him. In Luke, journeys are metaphors for a disciple's life. You and I walk in the way of faith. We journey. We're on pilgrimage with the Lord. And the disciples are going along with Jesus, and we are to imagine ourselves with them, slowly our eyes opening to behold the one who's with us. It is true of every one of us. We never see the Lord in his fullness. And when we do, it's never for long. And there's a yearning for us as the readers of this long tale, this image with Jesus with them, for them to know and begin to understand who this is. And Jesus won't interrupt too early. He allows them to seek. And then he opens the scriptures to them and still doesn't tell them who it is. Later they said, didn't our hearts burn within us when he talked to us on the road and when he opened the scriptures? Luke, I think quite creatively giving us a picture of our own discipleship, opening our scriptures day by day in small groups on Sunday and seeking the Lord there, our hearts burning within us, longing to see that one who was raised. This season of Easter, as we think of the risen Lord Jesus, we are people on the roads, and we ought to set our eyes and ask the Lord to open our eyes to see and behold him, to seek him in scripture and in prayer, to seek him in community with one another, for he longs to be seen. Second, this beholding of the Lord's face becomes the framework, the model for us to become holy people. It fixes our moral gaze, our moral commitment, our vision. This is Peter's point of his letter. He says that you have beheld his glory in the resurrection. Therefore, set your minds and be sober-minded, and do not give yourselves any more to the deeds of your fathers. It is the glory of the resurrection that Peter says leads us to transform our behavior into people of light and glory, to be no longer like those people of the world from which we came. The church is a people manifest in the world by the way that we live, not in vanity or pride or sexual immorality or hatred or cursing. We are people of purity and love and goodness and truth. And as Peter says, of deep and devoted brotherly love and sincerity, loving one another with a full heart. To see that vision, in other words, of the living Christ, is to constantly keep us moving forward in our walk of discipleship. To put off old things and to put on the new. There's a moment for us on this third Sunday of Easter to think in these three weeks or two weeks since we celebrated the Lord's resurrection, How have we grown? Where is it that the Lord would transform you into that vision of the Lord Jesus that lies before us? Peter's admonition is to stand firm, to fix your minds, to be fully committed to that transformation that we may be the glorious children which he has called us to be. So in the resurrection, we labor together to behold his face, We transform our lives and the way that we live, and we become his witnesses to yet others. I'm fascinated by this story, I didn't find any scholars who said much about it, but Jesus sure lets Cleopas go on for a long time without telling him it's him. What things, Jesus says, you know, he's determined not to interrupt the story too quickly. And there's something there, isn't it, that these disciples are imagined as people retelling the story of their faith. He lets Cleopas and his friend practice. Tell me about this story of yours, of one crucified who wasn't in the tomb the third day. It is an image of what the disciples will go on to do to retell this narrative, that the women didn't find him, and then he appeared to Peter also. And eventually we beheld the risen Lord in the breaking of the bread. That progression of disciples, we people who perceive him and come to know him and are confirmed in his resurrection immediately turns us into people who go into the world to call them from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south to carry out Isaiah's great vision. You know, Luke writes also the book of Acts. And his gospel ends here in 24. And in the first scene in Acts, he gathers the disciples again after 40 days. and says, go, be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Once we've beheld the risen Lord and we've grown into a loving, purified, holy community, we ought to think about those people God has put in our midst whom we may introduce to the glory of the Lord Christ. I was on a plane flight this week thinking about this task of witness and sitting next to a woman, and I was reading Hebrew. And so she says to me, are you a Christian? Are you a pastor? Are you Jewish? So we get into this conversation, and she says, well, I'm interested in faith and in Christianity, but I don't like those evangelicals. (laughs) I said, well, I'm one of those, but maybe not the kind that you think. And it was this strange moment she didn't quite know what to do. It does put us in that place. Peter and Luke are telling us, and Isaiah, those are the conversations we're to have. Can I show you the face of the Lord Jesus, the risen one, in whom is love, who sets and dotes on you with infinite love and compassion, who seeks to gather you as children to himself? Friends, may we become examples of his glory, and we become witnesses of the goodness of his rising again. Amen.